Well, hey, thanks again for taking the time this morning to join us online for our service uh, and for this Palm Sunday service. We're going to jump into God's Word in just a second, but I'd love to share two housekeeping things with you about what's coming up this coming Easter week and some more opportunities that we have for you to celebrate with us and us to celebrate together Good Friday. As we shared in an announcement that's been posted to our website, um, we're not going to be doing a regional Good Friday service for 14 churches, but what we are going to be doing this Good Friday is we're going to be doing a Good Friday online service for Calvary as a church. And so 12 noon on Good Friday, we would love for you to join us if you have time. It's going to be a simple service where we kind of just read through the Good Friday scripture passages and where we have some songs and we can just, uh, man, just kind of in a simple way but hopefully meaningful way focus in on what Jesus did on that day for you and for me. So Good Friday at 12 noon, we'd invite you to jump online and join us. And then Easter Sunday, like we're doing this morning, we're going to be here at 10 o'clock in the morning and would love for you to come and join with us and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus uh, on Easter. Should be a different Easter, but nonetheless still a meaningful and poignant and great time for us to rally together as a community around Jesus. I'm excited about what God has for us this morning, and so I'd ask you to join me in a word of prayer before we get into it. Um, Father, again, I'm grateful for your word, and I'm grateful that there is truth for every single thing that we're going through in our lives. And words and stories that were written thousands and thousands of years ago, Father, have direct relevance and impact in what we're all going through today. And so I pray as we unpack this story, and I pray, Father, in these moments as we think about Jesus and what he did with his followers on those last few hours that he was with them before his arrest, Father, that that will be helpful to us. I pray the Spirit will really work, Father. There's probably a bunch of folks who today have anxiety and who would have discouragement, and we know that your word doesn't return void. And so I pray that the truth of this story and this passage will encourage and impact and uh, challenge us in ways today so that Jesus is glorified and we're grateful for what he did. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here with us, we kicked off and we started a series called Imparted, right? And what we've kind of spent some time looking at for two Sundays, last Sunday and this Sunday, is we've spent some time thinking about in those last few hours and those last days that Jesus was with his followers, what did he teach them? What did he impart to them? What did he want them to know? And what did those things have to do with you and me and where we find ourselves Today And so we're going to continue that today. We're going to keep thinking about what Jesus did in that final night. Uh, but let's kind of just get ourselves situated in the overall Easter story and where we find ourselves in this passage that we're going to study today. Today, right, it's Palm Sunday. Like Brandon mentioned during the worship period, today is Palm Sunday. It is the day that churches, Orthodox churches, get together and we celebrate that moment when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that final week of his life, on that Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he did that as a king to kind of announce that his kingdom was coming. And then throughout that last week, after that Sunday, Jesus did some important things. He taught some important things. He connected with some people. And what you and I together have been talking about and thinking about for the past two Sundays is what happened on that Thursday, right? After Palm Sunday, that final week, <clears throat> on that Thursday, what did Jesus do? 
and we've been really kind of focusing in on that Thursday night dinner. On that final Thursday before he was arrested, Jesus had a dinner with his disciples, and that's kind of been the focus and will continue to be the focus for you and for I today. Before that Thursday, right, man, Jesus did a whole lot of other things, and let's just fast forward a little bit together to what happens after this dinner. After Thursday night dinner, after Jesus and his disciples start cleaning up the dishes, after that moment, what's waiting for them? What happens to them? Well, here's what happens to them after that Thursday night dinner. Jesus and his disciples, they go to a park. And essentially what happens just a few hours after that dinner is, man, this armed SWAT team essentially surrounds them. After this Thursday night dinner, what happens to these disciples is one of their trusted friends betrays Jesus. He sells him out. After this Thursday night dinner, one of those disciples actually draws a sword and he kind of gets into this little scuffle and he attacks one of those armed SWAT team guys who try to come for Jesus. After this Thursday night dinner, Jesus is arrested. After this Thursday night dinner, these guys have to deal with the suicide of one of their friends. After that dinner, they go into isolation. They kind of quarantine themselves because there's fear and there's unknown. After that Thursday night dinner, these guys deal with the arrest of Jesus, their leader, their friend. They deal with the murder of Jesus. And man, all those things happen just a few hours and a few days after this dinner that they're having together. And man, all those things that they went through, that's a lot to go through. I mean, that is a a process with this swirl and with these emotions, right? These ups and downs. And before all of those things happen, what does Jesus do on that Thursday night? Before all of those things that shake them and scare them and turn things upside down, what does Jesus do for them that Thursday night? Well, on that Thursday night at that dinner, he imparts things to them. He imparts some things to them that they're going to need to cling to in the moments that they're about to walk into. And the things that he imparts to them on that Thursday night dinner are things that you and I can cling to in this moment in which we find ourselves today. Because we're facing things, right? None of us probably, I don't know, maybe you have been, but none of us have been surrounded by a SWAT team in a park the past couple of days. But here are some things that have happened to people who are part of our church. Here are some things that have happened to some of you who are listening. You've been laid off. Or or you're really struggling with anxiety and this isolation and the stress and some depression that started to come as a result of that. Your business is just taking a hit. Some of your last years of college or last years of high school is just not the ending that you anticipated. For some of you today, you've lost a friend due to the coronavirus. For others of you today, you have a family member who is being tested or has recently been tested to see whether they have coronavirus. And the question for you and the question for me as we navigate through those different things is this, what can we learn, what lessons can we learn from this Thursday that we can cling to and be encouraged by this Palm Sunday? What can we learn from that last Thursday that can help us this Palm Sunday? 
That's what we're going to talk about. Our text is going to be John 15, verses 1 through 11. It's just a little later in the conversation from what we saw last week and from what happened last week. And as we unpack this text, we're going to see three key words from this passage, just three key words for us to think about and to hold to, and then three questions for each word. Three key words, three questions from each word out of John 15, verses 1 through 11. So let's move into the text, and let's just kind of think about what's the big idea, right? What's the big idea? What's the big thing Jesus wants them to get? You're going to hear this idea repeated a few times in this text that I read. So I'm going to read John 15, verses 1, then I'm going to jump down to 4 through 5, and then jump down to verse 9. And as I read these, listen to the word that's repeated a few times. Listen to the word that Jesus keeps saying. Listen to the big idea that he wants those guys to get and that he wants us to get on this Palm Sunday. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may be more fruitful. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." And then jumping down to verse 9, it says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Well, if you were listening, if you had enough coffee this morning, right, if you didn't drop your ego in the middle of that and you could concentrate to what I was reading, man, what was the word that kind of kept popping up? What was the word that Jesus wanted his disciples to hear and that he wanted them to do? The word that was repeated throughout this, this text was the word abide, abide, abide. That word, what it literally means is this idea of remaining, to remain in something. It describes a steady, a fixed connection to something. This this connection, this relationship, this union that is fixed and that's remained and that is ongoing. And in order to help us understand what that means, in order to help his disciples in that day understand what that means, Jesus used the image of a vine and then some branches, right? He uses this horticultural image. What a good word, horticultural. He uses this horticultural image to try to explain what this idea of abiding is. And he talks about it's the way that a branch abides in the vine, right? The way that a branch abides in the vine is the way that Jesus wants us to abide in him. And let's just think for a minute about a branch and a vine and that connection, right? That, that connection that Jesus wants us to have with him is the connection that that branch has to the vine or to the rest of the bush. How does a branch's connection to the vine, how does a branch's connection to the rest of that bush, how does it help it? Well, it's that connection, it's from that connection that the branch gets what it needs. That connection, that branch being part of the vine, that branch remaining and abiding and being connected to the larger bush is what nourishes the branch. It's what feeds the branch. It what It's what makes sure that the branch gets what it needs. It helps the branch to grow. And everything the branch needs comes from its connection to that vine or that larger bush. And what Jesus is saying is our connection to him, our remaining in him, our abiding in him, 
It does the same thing for me. It does the same thing for you. A little bit ago, before I cruised over here, uh, man, I went to my backyard, and in case you don't know it, this is a branch, right? And I know, I'm like a master gardener. It's amazing. This is a branch. I cut this branch off of the larger bush, right? So there's this huge bush. It's actually almost like a vine that's kind of in the back corner of my yard and spreads throughout the yard. And there's tons of branches there. The bush is there. But I cut this little piece off of it this morning. And as you can tell, there's a few flowers on it. What you may not be able to see is there's some flowers that are just starting to spread out. And then right here and right here and right here and right here and right here, there's like maybe seven or eight little buds that haven't yet started to fully bloom. Even these flowers that are blooming aren't fully out yet. There's some buds that haven't come all the way out yet. And man, this branch, this morning right now as I hold it, <clears throat> I mean, it looks pretty good, right? It seems healthy. There's some growth on it. It's not too bad. But in the next few days, in the next few weeks, if we were to keep like a, a camera focused on this branch, what, what's going to start to happen to it? Over the next weeks, over the next months, man, eventually this thing's going to die. These little petals are going to fall off. It's going to dry up. It's not going to have what it needs. All of these buds that have the potential of sprouting and the potential of growing, man, they're not going to. This thing looks great today, but in a few days, in a few weeks, in a few months, over time, because it's disconnected from the bush, man, it's going to wither. It's going to dry up. It's not going to flourish. And interestingly, in a few weeks, in a month or so, as this thing dies, you know what's going to happen to the rest of the branches that I didn't cut? You know what's going to happen to the rest of the bush that is still intact, that is still abiding, that is still connected? Man, all of those branches are going to flourish. All of those buds are going to grow. All of those flowers are going to become more vibrant because it's still connected to where it's getting its nourishment and its resources and its health. And what Jesus is saying is for you and for me and for these disciples as they're about to walk into that moment, what he's trying to remind them is, guys, abide, abide, abide. Be connected to me. Remain in me. Stay rooted in me. I mean, I guess the question for us is why would we want to live like this branch? Why would we want this to be our story? In the midst of everything that we're going through, in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, why would we want to be disconnected from everything that we need? In the midst of all that's going on in your life and your story, in the midst of all that's going on in our life and our story, why do we want to be the branch most disconnected from everything that we need? And the question is this morning for me and the question for you is, is this what we're like? Is this what our relationship with Jesus is like? Are we like what you can't see? Are we like all of those other branches still connected to that bush, still connected to that shrub, still growing? Or are we like this this morning, disconnected in Jesus and not abiding and not remaining in Jesus? Man, in this moment... In this moment, the very thing you may most desperately long for and the very thing you might most desperately need 
comes from abiding in Jesus. Here's the first key word. You already probably know what it is. Abide. Abide. So then the question becomes, okay, well, well, how do we do that, right? How do we abide? And Jesus gives us some conversation starters about how we do that, some different ways that we can abide. Interestingly, he's going to, as he starts walking to this park, he's going to ask the disciples, hey, be with me, hang out with me, <clears throat> spend time with me, right? Part of the way that we can abide with Jesus is by spending time with him and by physically being in his presence and being with him. But then Jesus gives us another way that we can abide, a second way we can abide, and that's seen in verse 10 of chapter 15 where he says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, what Jesus is not saying is he's not saying that his love for us fluctuates based on whether we obey. He's not saying that we can lose our salvation or we can lose our relationship with him. What he is saying, though, in that verse is this simple thing, that another way that we can ob abide is by obeying. Another way that we can abide is by obeying. We abide in Jesus, we stay connected to Jesus, we stay in Jesus by spending time with Jesus and his presence. And another way that we abide, another way that we remain connected is by obeying Jesus. So, so here's the first question, right? First word is abide, first word is abide. And the first question that kind of flows out of this for us this morning is this. How could you more deeply abide? How could you more deeply abide? As you're staying home, right, and you have this new schedule, and maybe you have, in a weird way, more time on your hands than you had before, how can you remain connected to Jesus in this new normal? In this new normal of spending time at home, how can you prioritize? How can I prioritize spending time with Jesus? How can we make abiding, abiding with Jesus part of our new routine, right? What, what, what are we prioritizing? I know a lot of us are binge watching things, and I mean, that's great, right? Uh, that's, that's why God created Netflix, I guess, for us to binge watch it in moments like this. But as we think about abiding with Jesus, as we think about prioritizing, are we spending more time watching Netflix's Tiger King or are we spending more time just being in the presence of our King, Jesus? How can we prioritize abiding because the very thing that you most desperately yearn for in this moment is the very thing that you may be able to get by abiding more deeply in Jesus? Maybe for some of us, a first step to abiding is simply to ask the Father to give us a desire to abide with Jesus. Maybe a first step is simply to ask God to help us want to spend time with Jesus. For others of us, maybe what the prayer is, is, hey, God, will you give us discipline to be with Jesus and spend time with Jesus and abide with Jesus even when we don't want to? First word is abide, and the first question for all of us this morning is, how can we more deeply abide with Jesus. What's the second key word in this text, right? There's another key word, and Jesus moves into that. We've already read part of that in verse 2. He says this, 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, there's two different clauses in there, right? This first clause is this idea of every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Let's unpack that for a minute. That's kind of a a tricky clause. We don't have time to unpack it all, but commentators are pretty equally split down the middle about what that phrase is referring to. That's because there's two different ways to understand that phrase, takes away, takes away. The Greek behind that phrase, takes away, can refer to two different things. So it probably, what Jesus is probably referring to here is those people who aren't abiding in him, those people who never had a relationship with him, and the consequences that those people one day will face because of that, right? That's, that's probably what Jesus is talking about here, but it, it also could be that the word takes away has its other meaning, because another way of understanding the word takes away is this kind of gardening phrase with this idea of the gardener helping lift something up. The gardener helping prop something up, right? If there's a branch that's weighed down or in the mud and it can't bear fruit, the gardener comes along and he takes that branch and he props it up to try to make it more fruitful and helpful. That could be also what Jesus is referring to here, how God comes along and he helps and he props up those people who for whatever reason haven't yet bear fruit. There's a split between what that phrase refers to, but there's no confusion about what the next next phrase refers to. Because the next phrase says these words, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's no confusion about what Jesus says the Father does to those people who are fruitful. What the Father does to those people who are fruitful is he prunes them so that they, in the end, can be even more fruitful. Pruning, pruning, man, what's all that about, right? It's it's the thing that maybe some of us, if we have gardens, we're starting to do, we're going to the yard with those cool little clippers. I can never find those clippers every year. I always have to go spend like $14.99 to buy new ones. But pruning is this idea with those little clippers of what a gardener does to help a bush be more fruitful and be more prosperous. And The idea of pruning is you cut something away. You either cut away dead branches that haven't grown, you you cut away dead branches that aren't going to provide any fruit, or if you see that maybe there's a little bit of some buds or some fruit, it's the idea of cutting away some of those so that healthier and stronger pieces of fruit can keep growing. The idea of pruning is the idea of cutting some things away, taking some things away, in order to help the things that are already there grow even better. You take something away so that that something doesn't hinder the growth of something positive that is already growing. And what Jesus is saying is just like a gardener prunes all those plants and vegetables and bushes and roses in the springtime, so God often prunes us. God often takes away things, prunes away things, cuts away things in our life that are hindrances, that hurt us, that keep us from growing strong and healthy and spiritual and and bear the kind of fruit he wants in other areas. God takes away habits or attitudes or patterns 
that hold us back and keep us back and he prunes those away to help us grow into the kind of people that he wants you and me to be. And sometimes that pruning hurts. Sometimes that pruning isn't always fun. The second key word this morning is this word of pruning. Pruning. What Jesus wanted his disciples to know is, guys, after this dinner, as you step into this next moment and all the moments that will come after that, in certain hard times, in certain moments, guys, I'm going to prune you and I'm going to work on you and I'm going to cut some things away from you so that the other areas can grow stronger and won't be impeded. And so here's the second question for us. In our season, in this season, Is there something that God is trying to prune in your life? In this season, in this moment in history, is there something that God may be trying to prune in my life? And is there something that God may be trying to prune in your life? Maybe in all the time that you've had alone at home, maybe in the different routine you've gotten yourself into, maybe in all of this time, God has been revealing something to you that he wants to work on. There's this this English writer, right, philosopher, a guy named C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this once. He said, God shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world world. And I guess the question is, man, as as we've been suffering through things and going through things and walking through things and adjusting to things, has God been using those things and the new normal in which we all find ourselves to shout to us about something in our life that he'd love to work on, something in our life that he'd love to improve, something in our life that he's pruning and he's shaping and he's sanctifying us in and he's making us more like Jesus. Maybe in the silence, maybe in the time alone, maybe the thing that some of us have heard God shouting to us about that he's trying to prune is maybe a lot of us just going into this moment have been pretty self-sufficient. We think we have it all under control. We think we can take care of ourselves. I mean, we were riding that train of self-sufficiency and boom, we hit the wall of the coronavirus. And maybe what God is trying to prune us in is this idea of, man, look, don't think that you can just grab the steering wheel of your life and that you're in control. Maybe what God is trying to prune us of is our self-sufficiency. In line with that, maybe what God is trying to prune us of is some of us, we, we just want to control everything, and we want to control everything because we ultimately think we can control everything. And you know what's kind of behind the thought of we can control everything? What's behind the thought of we can control everything is hidden deep in there is this idea of, well, kind of we're like God. Like like we're able to control it all. We can control our life. We can control their lives. We can control our spouse's life. We can control our kid's life. We can control our income. We're in charge. We can control it all. And man, we were riding that train of control. And it crashed into the coronavirus. And what some of us maybe have realized pretty drastically the past couple of weeks is how little we can control. 
we can control so little. And maybe what God is doing in this moment is trying to prune some of us who try to just be so in control to teach us that ultimately we're not the ones who are in control. That that desire for control is pride that comes from arrogance and that he's in control. And we're not him. Maybe God's been trying to prune us in that area. Maybe in the time that you've been home with your family, man, there's been some issues that have risen up. Maybe some family dysfunction that we've been able to sweep under the rug and we're all so busy going in 42 different directions. Well, now we ain't going in any direction. And we're in our house together with each other and that dysfunction, that conflict, that splinter has started to rise up. And what God has been saying to some of us is, hey, in this moment, what I want to prune you as a family in is this, this dysfunction, this conflict, and that that's rotting away the foundation of your family. Now, I don't know what it is, but I do know in moments when God has us alone, I do know in moments when God has our schedules change, I do know in moments like that, God does tend to shout sometimes in our pain and our anxiety. And I do know that God is a God who prunes us. And he prunes us because he loves us. And if you feel like God is pruning you in an area right now, if you feel like his megaphone has been shouting to you in an area right now, look, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Know that the thing that God is trying to take away and prune will end up making you stronger and more fruitful. Second word is prune. And the question linked with that is, in this season, is there something that God is trying to prune in your life? And here's the last and the final key word. The last final key word is a simple one. It's one that we don't always associate with Palm Sunday. We associate it more with Christmas. But the last word is this word, joy. Joy. Man, and that, that's a, a great word. And maybe that word joy is the needed word for you this Palm Sunday. Joy. Now, we've got to understand what it is, right? Joy is different than happiness. It's not like fake happy clappy. Joy is not mean that our circumstances change to make us happy, right? Joy is not just happiness. Joy is not a change of circumstances. But what joy is, is this settled confidence and peace amidst our circumstances. Joy is this idea of being settled. Joy is this idea of being content amidst our circumstances, even if those circumstances never change. And joy is the third word. And man, maybe for me and maybe for you and maybe for us this Palm Sunday, joy is what we need. Because we know some of you are hurting. We know some of you are anxious. We know some of you have fear. We know some of you are facing financial struggles that, yeah, are really, really difficult. And the way out isn't obvious. In the midst of all that stress, some joy would be great. Joy is definitely something the disciples would have longed for. 
as they walked through all this, as they navigated all this, as they were hiding in their houses after Jesus' arrest, as they were hiding away before he was murdered, when everything had turned upside down for them, man, they probably yearned for joy. And so what does Jesus impart to them in that last dinner with them about joy as they're cleaning the table, as they're drying the dishes, as they're about to take this walk to a park where Jesus is going to be arrested? What does he want to make sure that they understand about joy because he knows how they're going to yearn for joy? What does he want to make sure we understand about joy? Well, here's what he says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things, right? What Jesus is saying is what I've told you about pruning, what I've told you about abiding. I've told you those things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is linking pruning. He's linking abiding with joy. And here's the implication. Here's what jumps off the page for us this morning. It's this. If you want joy, man, abide in Jesus. If you want joy, abide in Jesus. Remain connected to Jesus. Remain in the presence with Jesus. Abide. Abide. That, that doesn't mean that that abiding is going to get your job back. It doesn't mean that abiding is going to get your health back. It doesn't mean the abiding is going to turn back the clock to the way things were two months ago. But what it does mean is that Jesus, on his final night before he was arrested and murdered, wants his disciples to know where they can look to for joy. He wants them to know where they can look to for a settled confidence when everything else around them is falling apart and he, what he says to them is guys when you want joy you look to me when you want joy you get with me when you want joy you abide in me and I have told you to abide in me I have told you not to fight the pruning because I want your joy to be full the third word is joy, and the third question that flows out of this is this, do you associate abiding with Jesus as a source of joy? Do you associate being with Jesus as a so source of joy? Man, here's what that means. Being with Jesus is not meant to be drudgery. Being with Jesus and spending time with Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus, especially in a moment like this, is not just this task to check off that's boring and pointless and, ah, it's duty, I got to do it. Man, it's supposed to bring us joy, and it is the source of our joy. And what Jesus is saying, man, if you're trying to find joy apart from that, you're going to be chasing the wind. If you're trying to breathe this branch to find joy on your own and through your own efforts and to try to find peace and to try to find hope. And if you're doing it by yourself and you're not abiding in me, then you're chasing the wind and it's like you're trying to grasp the fog. It's a losing effort. Jesus wants us to have joy. 
Man, Jesus wants us to know his love, and Jesus is saying you will experience that, and you will know that, and it will be full as you and when you abide in me. As the disciples, in just a few hours, are going to go face certain things, Jesus wanted them to know abide, pruning, and joy. And as you and I face everything that we've had hit us this past week, as we have everything hitting us this Sunday, as we don't know what's out there yet this coming week that'll hit us, what Jesus wants us to remember is, hey, abide. Don't fight my pruning, and I'm the source of your joy. The awesome thing is the reason that we can abide in Jesus is because Jesus came and he died as a substitute, right? Jesus came in our place to take the punishment that we deserve from God because of sin, and he stood in our place, and he, he was punished by God for us, and that's what gives us the hope of abiding with him. That's what gives us the hope of resting in him. That's what gives us the hope of knowing him, and the amazing thing is that part of that punishment was he put himself in a place to be murdered as part of the punishment as part of the wrath and what we know from the end of the story is that death couldn't contain him and so next Sunday we have the great opportunity to gather together and to think about the hope that comes from Jesus resurrection and what that hope and what that resurrection shows is this there was a historical man named Jesus who said these things he said it nobody will argue that he said it the question is was he right the question is, what he told us could come from abiding in him. The question is, when he offered joy to us in this moment, was he crazy? Was he lying? Or is it true? Is it true? And what the resurrection proves and what we'll celebrate next week is this, it is true. Jesus can be trusted. So as we continue to think about Jesus, we look forward to being with you on Good Friday, and then coming back together again to celebrate his resurrection on Sunday. So let me pray, and then we'll end our time with a song of worship. Father, once again, uh, with everything that we all are facing and everything that's going on, I pray that you will give us a desire to abide with Jesus. It's so easy, Father, to prioritize different things. It's so easy to be distracted, but will you please strongly remind all of us that what we most need and what we most yearn for ultimately is only found in you. Will you create in me a more yearning and a deeper desire to just simply be in the presence of Jesus? And will you create that on behalf of all of us, Father, who are following you? We're grateful that you haven't changed. We're grateful that you're sovereign. We affirm that you're still in control. And we pray that you will give us peace and comfort and strength in these coming hours and days. Amen.